Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to History Hack. If you didn't know by now, we are the revolution. That means we're sharp, witty, lots of fun, but it also means that we're essentially the peasants in Les Mis huddled round a table in the corner of the bar with no money. If you enjoy the show, please do support us. We have a Patreon account by which you can donate a small monthly sum in appreciation of what you're hearing. Alternatively, we have Ko-fi in which you can just do a one-off donation as a thank you if you particularly enjoy a certain episode. Either way, we massively appreciate all of your support. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of History Hack. Today is Pole Position Day, and of course we're going to be talking about Polish history. I'm super excited because my my guest today is actually sitting across the table from me, so this is a very, very first for me having my guest, so we can wave at each other and make weird hand signals. So, who is my guest today? My guest today is Łukasz Adamski, who's a historian and forestry policy analyst. He is an incredible guy. I've spent a lot of time with him, but he's shaking his head at me now. I'm really excited to talk to him because he's uh, his knowledge is is incredible and we're going to be talking today about Polish-Soviet relations, we're going to be talking about the Polish operation, we're going to be talking about uh, propaganda and various things like that. So I'm going to start with a very simple yet quite stupid question, stupid for me anyway. So where does Polish propaganda with Soviet relations come into? Where does it all start? Hello, welcome. Uh, actually, I will probably surprise you since this Russian propaganda tar- targeting Poland began as early as in 18th century. Hold on, this is before the partition period, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, at that time, Poland uh, it was not uh, today's Poland, I mean borders, but um, correctly speaking, it was a commonwealth of Polish Kingdom and Grand Duchy of Lithuania, and it encompassed a huge part of lands in Europe. Today's Belarus, today's Lithuania as well, uh, some parts of Latvia, and significant part of Ukraine uh, till the Dniep River. And what the Russian propaganda did at the time, they uh, they wanted to justify um, annexations. So they said that firstly, uh, Poland discriminated. Um, Orthodox population, not saying that uh, uh, rights of Catholic in the Russian Empire was were incomparably, incomparably smaller than rights of Orthodox in, in Poland and Lithuania. Secondly, they said, um, and uh, you can compare it, by the way, uh, this uh, allegation with uh, with uh, Lavrov's or Putin's statement about uh, alleged discrimination of Russian-speaking population in Ukraine. Then you can compare uh, propaganda saying that Polish government is illegitimate since it came to power uh, because of the revolution and it disseminates uh, slogans of French Revolution. The same uh, now uh, Russia is saying about Ukraine, that uh, after Maidan revolution and then overthrow of, of Yanukovych was illegitimate and therefore all governments of Ukraine, it is actually uh, illegitimate and they are hostages of, of some imagined Nazis. 
So you, here we have a second, a second important parallel. And the third, which is also um, valid today, is a justification that Russia is actually not uh, robbing Polish lands. It only wants to restore uh, its authority over ancient Russian lands. And for Russian uh, Empire, all Belarusian or Ukrainian lands were Russian. And um, they said it in the 18th century and they are saying the same or very similar things now. They, they say basically that uh, the, uh, the Ukrainian nation is artificial and de facto it's little Russians and little Russians are branch of the uh, all Russian nation. Therefore, actually, what uh, Russia is doing is only doing on the territory of its historical lands. So you see actually the same playbook. I think uh, the new plan for Poland should be to restore the Lithuanian Polish Commonwealth now, because if Russia is playing this game, I think we should play our own game, really. Not Lithuania and Ukraine are uh, sovereign countries and they will uh, remain such, but we definitely we started to have a special format of cooperation. It's called uh, Lublin Triangle. It was created uh, in 2020 and de facto it is it is a it is form of uh, restoration of political cooperation of uh, three main countries of former Commonwealth, Ukraine, Poland and Lithuania. We would like to welcome also Belarus, but Belarus is deprived of the right to decide all the, themselves. And as long as Lukashenko uh, regime is at power, no, we cannot hope for for um, having Belarus on the board. By the way, for anybody, I was actually joking. I do not want a restoration of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Uh, just a joke. So let's move on a little bit with this propaganda thing. So propaganda starts, what, 18th century. It moves into, obviously, the Polish partition period, then following that, we have the First World War. Does anything change during the First World War? Poland as a state, which was uh, destroyed in the end of 18th century, came to existence once again in 1918. And then, uh, of course, Poland perceived itself at the time as continuation of this of this partition state. Yeah? So the Polish people usually... Uh, assume that partition were illegal and as Ill as uh, the state of illegality ceased to exist you no know, they they are somehow restored in their rights so they they would like to they wanted to have a, a form of federation between Poland and historical Lithuania so Lithuania and Belarus and have also Ukraine which was at the time right after the first world war a short period of time was independent and they wanted to have also Ukraine as a partner in a form of confederation but the problem is that uh, Ukrainian uh, forces, Ukrainian army was weak and they struggled against Bolsheviks um, and even in 1920 when uh, Ukrainians and Poles allied, they, they conquered even Kiev for one month but it, it appeared that Polish and Ukrainian uh, forces are too weak to combat Bolsheviks and as, as a result as a result, a compromise was uh, signed between Poland and this and Soviet Russia. A compromise which actually uh, was not satisfactory both for Poland and for all the uh, Bolsheviks, and definitely was not satisfactory for Ukraine since the lands of 
where Ukrainian people live in majority were divided into two, two states, Poland and, and Soviet Ukraine, Soviet Union later. So, uh, and then in that time, Soviet Union also used anti-Polish propaganda. Firstly, they referred to that Pol- Polish state is, uh, is ruled by uh, lords, not by uh, normal uh. people, but by lords. Uh, yes. And they are against peasantry, against uh, workers. So they use even a, a specific term, Bielopoliaki, in the Rus- Russian language, which means white poles what white poles are so question i'm just going to throw so i'm going to cut you off from question here so um, i know i'm jumping ahead of the gun here very far ahead of the gun but the joke used to be laughing at the word pan for our listeners who don't speak polish the word pan in or pani in polish means mr or missus it's very simplistic every human being is pan or pani but for the russians they would laugh that pan meant lord are we going down the same road here was that um, not de facto, uh, this word had uh, n- now is, is usually also used as uh, Mr. and Mistress, but uh, historically uh, it had double meaning. Firstly, it was of, co- of course every, every, every gentleman or gentlewoman, it was like gentleman, pan, but it was also a synonym for landlord. So Russians used o- only the second, the second meaning and they, they called simply all. Polish elites pane, and they they also say that this uh, state ruled by pane by by Polish gentlemen and land, landlords is um, persecuting uh, Belarusian and Ukrainian minority. Of course, this uh, this situation was not ideal, uh, and they had some uh, complaints, which uh, I I consider legitimate. But uh, what I'm sure that most of Ukrainian elites living in pre-war Poland did not wish any Russian intervention in in uh, their uh, situation. Yeah, they did not wish Russia's protection. But no, Stalin decided earlier Lenin, but later Stalin uh, decided differently. And in 1939, and it's uh, another parallel, when Germany uh, invaded Poland, then after two weeks, on 17th September, the Soviet Union did the same. But they did not admit that they had uh, they, that they were committing an act of aggression in cooperation with the Third Reich, with Nazi Germany. So they said that they are simply having humanitarian intervention and they want to pro- they wanted to protect the fate of uh, of a keen population of Belarusians and Ukrainians and the Soviet Union cannot be simply uh, uh, ignoring that uh, that they could be in a threat if they would be conquered by Nazi Germany so they invaded eastern Poland they annexed um, 52% of the pre-war territory of Polish state now it is Ukraine, uh, part of Ukraine, it is part of Belarus, part of Lithuania, and part of Poland, by the way. Uh, today's Eastern Poland was also annexed by the Soviet Union in 1939, but they returned 10% of the conquer in 1945. And so this uh, propaganda against Polish lords, against Polish gentlemen, and uh, saying that, uh, I'm, I'm quoting now Vyacheslav Molotov, who was uh, Soviet commissioner for foreign affairs who delivered a special speech uh, after the, after a fake referenda which the Soviet Union did in eastern Poland and say that uh, it was enough to, to have a small war and this uh, 
this ugly offspring of the Versailles Treaty ceased to exist. And then he added also that it's not only senseless, but it's also criminal to think uh, about uh, war against, the, against Nazi Germany, since you cannot fight an ideology by force. I've been debating since we've been talking, listening to you talk, to talk about this. So I did a presentation to a group of Americans last year and it was all about the Second World War and I, obviously you spoke about, I spoke about September 1939, how it looked like with the, when the Nazi Germany invaded. Then I looked and spoke about Russia, or Soviet Union, and I asked them very specifically, I said, so was Poland made up of all of these lords and ladies and they were lording over, so basically using uh, Russian propaganda. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was awful to how many people said, yes, that's true. That's why the Russians had every right to invade. I mean, this propaganda is so deep-rooted now in history. I mean, hopefully we're trying to unwind this and, and educate people. But it's so deep-rooted around the world that they still believe that the Russians had every right to invade in 1939. Well, the problem is in Western academia and also in with significant part of Western public opinion and intellectual elites that they have quite limited knowledge about the um, history of Central and Eastern Europe. So they basically think that the, uh, Ukraine uh, was uh, part of Russia and then out of the blue it became independent in 1991. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, this is quite popular. It was of course more popular this view uh, before the war, before uh, the war of 2022 of course, but it, I think it is quite widespread. Why? It is, I think, the heritage of, of Russian uh, historiography written in 19th century. So in imperial Russia, one had to somehow to justify, uh, to justify rules over Poland, over today's Ukraine, Belarus, Lithuania. So they, they mainly they argued that uh, all Eastern Slavs, so Belarusians and Ukrainians, are uh, Russians, so this is the, uh, the same uh, category, yeah, and that Poles are, uh, are people who uh, want to deprive Russia of, of a part of its historical land, and and therefore uh, Russia had to control Poland because of its security, and they absolutely ignored, uh, uh, I mean, the Russian historiography in the 19th century, an alternative uh, view on the history of Eastern Europe, which was promoted at the time by Polish historians. And now, uh, hopefully, we are uh, supported by, by Ukrainian historiography, uh, saying that um, it is uh, not true that the Russian state had its cradle in Kiev, as Russian historiography uh, hold and as Russian elites um, believe in this view even today. So it's not true that Kiev was uh, once upon a time a Russian city since uh, the Russian statehood developed in northeastern part of uh, early medieval state of Ruthenia. And, uh, ah, Ruthenia, the, uh, yeah. the lovely, the lovely debate that goes around the whole of social media constantly are 
pierogi ruskie. Exactly. So Ruthenian pierogi. Exactly. So in, in, in Polish and Ukrainian language, we have uh, two ter- terms. Uh, one is for Russia and another is for Ruthenia. And this is uh, Rosyjski and Ruski, so Russian and Ruthenian. The problem is that Russia in the Russian language, there's only one term. And uh, basically, uh, Russian elites at, at the whole Russian national culture identified those two terms. And then uh, of course, if they identified those two terms, they also promoted uh, such a view on history among uh, Western elites. And therefore, you can find very often, even in British historiography, for example, a nonsense that Poland invaded Russia in 1920. No, it is a pure nonsense. Oh, I already yes. said about that, since it was... Uh, um, on the Polish side, uh, a, a fight against uh, Russian Bolsheviks uh, on the territory of former Polish-Lithuanian uh, Commonwealth, and in a situation then, Russian government itself, Lenin himself, uh, said that it's not a territory of Russia, it's a territory of Soviet Ukraine. But they even even Bolshevik government recognized that Ukraine is not Russia, although they said that Soviet Ukraine should be somehow tied to Soviet Russia. But uh, in Western historiography, you can find very often the view that it was Poles, it was uh, Poland who invaded uh, Russia in 1920. So what, what, what can we do? We can simply uh, promote uh, and disseminate uh, know, the, the view based on, on, on clear facts that before Ukraine became a part of uh, Russian Empire, it had uh, seven or eight hundred years of separate history. Most of uh, this history was tied to Poland and to Lithuania, and therefore, uh, at least to Dnieper River, uh, Russian influence as such on the territory uh, between today's Poland's border and the Dnieper River, to, so between Poland and Kiev. Um, Russian influence, not political, but cultural influence and, uh, and Russian language, uh, basically came only with with the establishment of the Soviet power. So uh, after the First World War. So I've just gone on uh, onto my phone. So it looks like I've been texting. I haven't been texting. I've actually gone to find a tweet. So it's really interesting because we're talking about propaganda, and propaganda is still ongoing now, especially as rife on social media. I got a message from a very lovely lady on Twitter. And uh, this guy had started writing about the Polish-Ukrainian war. And they're like, so I'm going to read you the tweet. And then mm-hmm. I want you to comment on this. And, and then I'll say what, because obviously you can, you barely can write back on Twitter with however many characters. So this, I don't know, it's a bot, most likely. So they say, maybe you could read about the Polish-Ukrainian war and how Poland annexed parts of Galicia, now Western Ukraine. It ended with the Treaty of Riga, or maybe the Munich Agreement, with the UK allowing Hitler to annex Czechoslovakia, and the Poles in in retaliation annexed, I don't even know how they've written this, but it's not any Polish word that I've read, uh, the the part of Czechoslovakia that it it annexed. And I ended up writing back, and, and I said, well, in theory, yes, but it's taken out of context completely. 
and there's nothing you know you can't just fire random words at a person i said you need to read about the events what happened causes effects and everything else so i i recommended uh, johan buller's book on interwar poland which gives a bit a bit of a uh, an understanding because like we know poland 1918 was a in theory at the time a new nation that had to build a government it was in chaos things were happening you had problems with the with the soviets there was so many hundreds of things happening you can't just say well, this was annexed and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. and it, it, It's not so easy. It's not so straightforward. So can you comment on that? Yeah. Uh, so I will p- perhaps begin uh, with, I think, obvious st- fact that uh, Russian propaganda use uh, very often manipulation techniques. And they, for example, call electric chair to be a chair. No, for, formally they are right. Electric chair is also a kind of chair, but the purpose of of, of that chair is quite different than a nor, uh, than than a u- utility of normal uh, chair. Okay, so Poland did not annex uh, uh, Eastern Galicia since Poland did not uh, uh, did not recognize emergence or an attempt to to, to create um, Ukrainian statehood on this territory. Eastern Galicia was uh, a part of uh, Poland from 14th century and then in 772 it was annexed by Austria and then Austria collapsed in 1918. Part of uh, this uh, Austrian part of Poland was predominantly inhabited by so-called ethnic Poles, and it was it was indisputable part of the Polish state. Also, Ukrainians admitted that. But eastern part, uh, with the center in uh, Lviv, Lviv, in German it's Lemberg, was multi-ethnic can- uh, country. Namely, um, Ukrainians were then in majority, fifty-five. To 60%. Poles were in minority between 25 and 30%, and they were, but they dominated in cultural life, in economic life, and of course, uh, cities were basically um, mostly inhabited by Poles or by Jews. And what happened in, uh, in 1918, when uh, Austrian Empire collapsed, both Ukrainians and Poles wanted to control Eastern Galicia. A war began. Ukrainian uh, attempts to create its uh, statehood were were uh, destroyed by Poland, which was uh, much stronger. It is true, but there was no annexation, since annexation uh, uh, assumes that there is a state which has to be annexed or a part of the state, and Poland and no other country recognize uh, uh, recognize the attempt to create. Ukrainian uh, statehood in Eastern Galicia. Then, Treaty of Riga, which was also mentioned, it was the treaty signed between Poland, Soviet Russia and Soviet Ukraine in 1921. It did not, uh, uh, it was not, uh, it did not refer to Galicia at all, since it was a treaty which should somehow divide uh, between Poland and Soviet um, republics lands which belonged to the Russian Empire prior to uh, 1917. Yeah, so this, let's say, Russian part of Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, but it was uh, not about Galicia. And uh, 1938, Russian propaganda very often referred to the fact that Poland uh, and Germany partitioned Czechoslovakia. No, here also the story is different, since uh, uh, Czechoslovakia was forced to make a cession of the part 
of its uh, territories to Germany due to Munich Agreement. It was, Munich Agreement was justified or was explained perhaps better expression by the fact that those parts of Czechoslovakia which was transferred to Germany were inhabited basically by uh, ethnic Germans. So in this situation Polish government also demanded from Czechoslovakia uh, that a small land which was uh, over time a period uh, a matter of dispute between Poland and Czechoslovakia so it encompassed I think eight or nine hundred square kilometers so it's not not really not not, not much and uh, that uh, that Czechoslovakia also transferred uh, this, this fragment of its territory to Poland for the sake of future good relations it was a mistake and Polish and this um, it was a mistake since of course to uh, to put such ultimatum in a situation where all nation is shocked by by results of uh, Munich agreement uh, no was not uh, to put it mildly a best way to um, to convince Czechs of good Polish intention and Polish president Lech Kaczyński in 2009 by the way in the presence of Vladimir Putin uh, said that Poland can draw lessons from its own mistakes in the past and can call uh, sins uh, to be sins yeah? and he, he used this term a religious term it was a sin it was not only a political mistake but it was a sin but it was not done in arrangement with Nazi Germany it was let's say done after uh, after Munich conference and uh, both actions were you not know, close to each other in the in the let's say in, in, in uh, when we uh, think about time but they uh, it was uh, it was not like a partition between the of Poland between Russia and and Pr Prussia and Austria which was pre-arranged that is not what uh, what what happened indeed Okay, I want to, I'm going to add one more question because there's, I obviously want to talk about the Polish operation because Sorry. it's something that we've uh, not covered at all on this podcast and not very many people know about it. So, But before we do that, I want to jump in, do a couple of minutes on this, talking about modern propaganda. It's not modern, it's still old propaganda. I, um, I got attacked recently on social media by people because I got very frustrated with this mm. word liberation. And the Russian trolls went after me because when they... I'm going to use this with with quotations. Nobody can see it, but I'm telling you now, I'm using quotations. When the Russians or the Soviets liberated, quotation marks, Warsaw on the 17th of September 1945, I got very angry because they didn't liberate shit. Yes, I'm using the word shit. They didn't liberate shit. They walked into an empty city, pretty much that had been evacuated by, uh, by the Germans, and they're glorifying how they heroically liberated this the capital of Poland obviously I got attacked because they also liberated Auschwitz which is a whole different other kettle of fish and a whole different other podcast we could just talk about the recent controversies with that let's talk about this idea of Russian liberation and the propaganda that runs through this because it is so deep-rooted that we could spend a whole 45 minutes just uh, look at uh, liberation is bringing liberty to someone. To, uh, liberation is about liberty, so about freedom. Did the Russian army bring freedom to Poland? Well, no. Of course not, not since uh, Russian soldiers, Soviet soldiers were not free uh, themselves. Huh? They, they were hostages of of totalitarian states. So uh, I, I can ask how somebody who, uh, who has no freedom can bring freedom to, to, to somebody else. So I would prefer to say 
As, by the way, Polish government said in at the beginning of 1945, Polish government in London, that what uh, the Red Army did was not liberation of Poland, but a termination of German occupation of Poland. Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that. The termination... I like that. I'm going to use that forever. Yeah, I, 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 I can show you a document which I published in my uh, recent two volumes of document on Polish-Soviet relations in the Second World War. So it was a termination of German occupation. German occupation was a genocidal one. It, it has to be uh, uh, also said. And in that um, sense, um, let's say uh, Poland became not free, of course, after Red Army uh, um, occupied Poland, but uh, um, let's say its general fate improved <laughs> compared w- with uh, the fate in uh, in the years 1939-1945. But the fact, of course, um, Russian army liberated ruins of Warsaw. Why Warsaw was ruined? No, the, the, one of the reasons was the uprising against Germany. Warsaw uprising, which brought out uh, brought out on the 1st August 1944, and uh, it uh, was also uh, insurgent, could not reckon on any support of the Red Army, which... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And they hoped for that support, and the Red Army was on the other bank of uh, Vistula River, de facto. I need to add something to this. Do you know how many military historians have told me that men, obviously Polish historians, were wrong, that uh, they only sat there because they couldn't, they didn't have the military equipment to help Warsaw. And it's a military thing, it's nothing to do with ideology, it's nothing to do with politics, and the amount of frustration that goes through me. Look, they they are, uh, I think, prisons of Soviet documents and Soviet official explanation. If uh, the Red Army was really unready to uh, support Polish uh, uprising, then I think Red Army could allow at least landing of British uh, uh, air, um, uh, the airplanes, airplanes in in the landing grounds, yeah, on Russian um, on, on territory of Poland taken by 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 the Red Army. So it would it would have facilitated strongly support if British, American, uh, and Polish uh, pilot could land on the territory. But Stalin refused to do it, and um, British planes had to fly from Italy 
to Warsaw. They uh, over Warsaw, of course, not to Warsaw, but oh, they they were over Warsaw. They they um, they throw equipment, weapon uh, to, to 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 the insurgent, and then they had to return to the bases in Italy. It was such missions were extremely costly in terms of uh, of of risk for uh, for the life of pilots, and Stalin. Uh, allowed them to land only uh, when it was absolutely clear that the um, uprising is uh, failed in the end of in the second part of September 1944 so after six or seven weeks and Churchill was sim- simply met but he, since he could not understand uh, how, uh, what political calculations are behind Stalin's uh, refusal but uh, now I'm quite sure that even if uh, if Red Army w- had been perfectly equipped Stalin would not uh, have uh, liked to support the uprising since he understood one thing clearly this uprising was uh, against Germany in terms of military but uh, also against uh, the Soviet Union and against Soviet puppet, puppet government of Poland imposed by the Soviet Union in terms of politics and uh, the the aim of this uprising was that the insurgent would uh, liberate a, a Polish capital and then Polish legitimate uh, legal government residing in London could come and uh, to some extent uh, it would uh, rescue Polish independence but uh, no, this calculation was perhaps naive but definitely it, it failed mm, and uh, no, but it, it doesn't and anyway it doesn't uh, change the fact that Stalin deliberately prevented uh, support for was uprising delivered by um, by rendered by by Brits and 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 Americans oh, there were suicide missions for the for the British the Americans the Canadians I think there was Australians in there as well. The amount of planes that ended up going down, the amount of airmen that were killed, just trying to get mm-hmm. equipment over to Warsaw, mm-hmm. and then the Soviets, right at the end, mm-hmm. decide to also, in quotations, help by throwing in a few planes here and there, but right at the end, where there was no hope. So thanks for that, Soviet Union. Okay, let's... Polish operation. You wanted to ask? Yes, that's my next. Uh, 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 is going to be the Polish operation because not many people even. First of all, not many people know what it is. How does it even fit into history? What is? I mean, there's a million and one questions. So first of all, well, let's start with the most simplest question, which is, what is it? And then we'll ask the question of how does it even fit into the Polish narrative? Because <laughs> in it doesn't. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. So let's start with that one. How does? I mean, what is it? put the things briefly it was uh, mass repressions against mainly against ethnic poles being soviet citizens which took place on the territory of the soviet union in uh, 1937 and in 1938 one can say that it is part of so-called great terror but de facto it was it was a form of uh, genocide I'm uh, absolutely serious about that, against the ethnic Poles living predominantly in uh, the ter- on the territory of Soviet Belarus and Soviet Ukraine. Just for, uh, to compare, 2000, in 1937, uh, they were uh, 630,000 uh, Ukrainian citizens of Polish origin, or of Polish nationality. Yeah? So they um, identified themselves as people of Polish culture, Polish language, but they were Soviet citizens. 
1937, before this operation started, they, we had more than 600,000 of Poles in Ukraine. And then in 19... Uh, of, I'm sorry, not, uh, not 600, but more than 400,000 in Soviet Ukraine. Uh, 600 was in the whole Soviet Union, but in the Soviet uh, Ukraine it was more than 400,000. And then after three years, uh, the number of Poles reduced to 300,000, uh, 350,000. So, um, despite demographic growth, de facto, uh, number of Poles dropped by 20%. And according to um, my own calculation and calculation of my colleagues, 40,000 Poles were executed in 1937 and 1938 in the Soviet Ukraine. And on the territory of the whole Soviet Union, it was probably 80,000. So uh, what does it mean? It it means that 10% of the population was executed. 10%. And 10% means basically men, basically adult men. It means actually that uh, every second or every, every third adult Polish man in in in, in, the, in Soviet Ukraine was killed. Uh, formerly, Polish operation it was not a it was a term coined by historians for these actions. And formally, uh, this this action targeted not ethnic Poles but people who, according to Soviet so-called authorities, were collaborators of the Polish intelligence. So they they searched for Polish agents everywhere. They could kill people who had some relatives uh, in Poland, in pre-war Poland. They could, people who who served in the Polish army, who are Polish peasants who spoke Polish language since they, uh, they NKVD officers, NKVD men received orders that now we have to, to decimate Polish population. So hold on, if my calculations are correct, across the whole Soviet Union and uh, Soviet Ukraine, we're talking about about 120,000 people. Uh, now historians, uh, Polish, Russian, Ukrainian historians agree that at least 111,000 uh, people were murdered in uh, the Polish operation. And then I, I think 30,000 uh, were deported to, to Soviet camps. Okay, so camps. please explain to me how 111,000 men were capable of being agents within Russia. <laughs> it's not a question to me, but to, to, to Stalin. Yeah? Uh, but anyway, it was not only, uh, it was basically men, but not only women could have been also arrested and uh, and executed. And then it was not only Poles, although, in, by the way, in Poland itself, people usually think that Polish operation was about Poles. But... Uh, in the in this logic of Stalin terror, murdered were also Ukrainians, Jews, Russians, all people who who are who were suspected of being Polish agents. So seventy two percent of this number of one of uh, one hundred eleven thousand were indeed more or less seventy two percent were ethnic Poles, but all others were Ukrainians, Belarusians, Russians, and Jews. How it is possible that uh, you uh, you could have fi- found uh, so many agents? No. I think uh, it is uh, with, uh, in accordance with the dialectic logic of Stalin's paranoia that uh, the more innocent someone is, the more guilty de facto he is. 
and um, I could uh, <laughs> I, I can tell you lots of stories about that but one of which really impressed me <laughs> strongly then was not connected to uh, to, uh, to, to polls at all so I, I, I edited uh, many documents together with my uh, Ukrainian colleague Jana Primachenko a special book will be published in this year and uh, one of the criminal case was about uh, a Ukrainian woman uh, who worked in Ukrainian in Soviet Ukrainian uh, police uh, she worked uh, firstly in Kharkiv that was until uh, 1934 capital city of Soviet Ukraine and she had then a husband but who also was a Soviet official. But then Soviet uh, capital city was transferred from uh, Kharkiv to Kiev. And then this uh, marriage couple was div- uh, was separated since the, the husband had to remain in Kharkiv and the, uh, the woman came to, the wife came to Kiev. Of course, they had to receive uh, an apartment in Kiev, but it did not happen. You know, you know this all problems with 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 apartment in the Soviet Union so and she was so desperated that she decided to to sleep with one high NKVD man uh, because he promised her then that on that way uh, he will be able to uh, to provide uh, her the apartment and so uh, so she did it and and on the next day uh, this NKVD man of Latvian origin was arrested as a apparent alleged Polish spy. She was in her uh, in his apartment, so she was also arrested as oh my god as his uh, alleged wife. And then and uh, and then the man, the, re- the real husband, the re- real husband, uh, he. Uh, he was sending lots of letters, explanations to various Soviet authorities, wishing to explain that it is a misunderstanding. They, they did not plan any divorce. They had good marriage. That the wife probably had a, a moment of weakness, but uh, he loves her. She loves uh, him uh, as uh, proof. Uh, that the marriage is really functioning, uh, he sent lots of letters which, between them, which really co- uh, corroborated that uh, they were emotionally tied. And uh, this story, this is one of few stories which uh, ended happily. So she was, after six months, released. But it was already um, after this Polish operation was uh, was officially ended. Then Beria came to power and you know, this woman survived. Um, but it's, it, it shows simply, of course, she was a Ukrainian woman and, and the man was also Ukrainian. But pro- probably there were many... Uh, so uh, such uh, victims among um, also Ukrainians who did not survive this operation, because all nationalities in the Soviet Union, perhaps except of of, of Russians, who are uh, who are some to some extent privileged, were suspected of being nationalists, or and if somebody is nationalist, then he might be also a foreign agent and so on and so forth. So this is also Polish operation is a part of not only of Polish history, but it's a part of Soviet history, part of. Ukrainian and Belarusian history. So talk us through what it was like for these people. So they would get arrested. What would happen from their journey of being arrested to 
for example, the unlucky ones execution and the lucky ones hopefully release. Was it similar to what they went through when obviously they were arrested in 39? In, no, since people who were arrested in 1939, they had much uh, higher chance to survive. Those who were arrested uh, in 1937, with few exceptions, they were basically either condemned to death sentence by uh, shooting or uh, for 10 years of uh, Soviet labor camps. And a standard situation is that somebody is arrested, he is presented, he's confronted with allegation, allegation that he is a, a Polish spy. He, of course, uh, refused. Then he is uh, beaten, mistreated, and uh, on the, during the second interrogation, then he, he gives up. He admits that he, all the time he was a spy. And then he is uh, he is executed. But it is a standard procedure. If if you are if you, if you are, for example, attractive woman, then you could have been also uh, raped um, by interrogators. And I have such documents and uh, very powerful and sad documents uh, about the prison in in uh, Ukrainian town city of Zhytomyr where those uh, tortures, mistreating, were, was simply so extreme that even for Soviet uh, authorities in 1939, after the Great Terror uh, stopped, you know, they were um, somehow moved by what uh, happened in this prison. So you could, um, the, the local NKVD men, they said to, to women which had to be executed that they are uh, doctors, and uh, so they uh, told them to undress. Then uh, they, uh, many of them were uh, were raped. There, there was also one case of of a man, uh, an old man, whom they promised to be pardoned if he commits a sexual act with the corpse of uh, executed woman. Uh, so, uh, and then of course they, of course they, also uh, took golden teeth from the mouth of executed uh, persons so uh, you can it's simply every possible uh, mistreatment of of people who you could imagine and uh, and then those people who were hangmen they were even proud uh, of what they did one of them for example said that he is very proud to be able to kill enemies of people. Some other said that they um, deserve upgrade in uh, their work since they uh, they worked so hardly that they uh, they have some muscle problems uh, because of uh, perpetual uh, executing people, so they deserve certain additional gratification. Um, and in 1939, some of them were um, were even executed, organizer of this procedure. Uh, some other were uh, given uh, small sentences, especially for small for Soviet conditions. But anyway, uh, what occurred in Zhytomyr, in this prison, was incre- was incredibly uh, difficult to uh, describe. And uh, not all, but many victims of those people uh, were ethnic Poles. Oh, you stunned me into silence. Mm-hmm. That's not very 
That's very hard to be able to do. It's, it's for me to, to be honest. It's uh, also hard to tell about this, since even if I, uh, when I read those documents, I I I have the feeling that I cannot read too much, since it uh, affects uh, how uh, no my uh, your psyche uh, psychic uh, is is working. So uh, no, anyway, I'm happy that I'm I'm not. Uh, I, I'm, I live in in a better times than 1937, 1938. But I'm thinking what would happen, for example, with me or with my wife, who is Ukrainian, if we had lived in 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 this time. So we would have been executed, that's for sure. But uh, would it would it have been a simple execution or some tortures? I don't know. Well, when it comes down to the Soviet Union and the Russians, it always was torture, wasn't it, really? In one way or another, even after, even post-45, you know, in the prisons and under communist rule, it was still still torture. Yes, but, uh, but I'm not going to diminish uh, this uh, cruelty which happened after 1945, but I think nothing is comparable with great terror, not no, no 10% of uh, of certain community to kill, and uh, every third man. No, this is some, something which is uh, really impressive in very negative sense of that word. By the way, if, if uh, few people know about the Polish operation of NKVD, but I think even less people know that there was a very similar operation against ethnic Germans. So Germans living in the Soviet Union were also victims of genocide. That's interesting. I didn't even know that. Mm-hmm. So there was also drama operation of NKVD, and I think that um, methods, were, having been applied, were quite similar. I mean, how did how did all of this end? How did this operation? Did it just finish? Did it? I have no. I have no idea even how to ask this question. How- I, I think. I think. Yeah. I, I, but I. You don't know how to ask the question. But I. <laughs> I, I think I know how to answer. Uh, no, it's not finished since uh, people who were uh, hangmen at the time and Kavudi, uh, this uh, culture of, of this work uh, culture, uh, this uh, habits uh, did not disappear. They perhaps they are not now so extreme. But look at what Russian uh, secret service is doing. Russian FSB, which is going to, uh, which is able to kill people, even Russian themselves, by blowing up apartment only because uh, one of their comrades, uh, Vladimir Putin, as a president, ordered them to to, to blow up apartment. Nineteen ninety nine. They are going to kill uh, British citizens in Great Britain. Ah, yes, because they went to go and see the cathedral. Yeah, they went all the way from Moscow. Yeah, and the, <laughs> what, what, uh, they over they are now torturing Ukraine. Unfortunately, the this culture of violence and mistreatment and violating human dignity, uh, which was developed in the Soviet Union in Russian, I think, Russian Empire in the 19th century was much more civilized country than the Soviet Union. Uh, now this culture preserved, and now uh, we have a repetition uh, which is, can be observed on daily basis in Ukraine. So unfortunately. Although great terror ended, then methods of great terror uh, are still alive. I think that's a note to end on our podcast. Well, Thank gosh, you. this has been. 
your mind and your knowledge is just incredible so i would love to have you back on we can do i don't know we can pick a different ask our listeners to pick a subject that they would be interested something to do with soviet polish relations with or pleasure we can delve into other myths or we can delve into an idea that you guys may have so get in contact what would you like to hear Wukash talk about because i think he's fantastic i'd love to have him back on so thank you so much thank you alina Our incredible guests give us 45 minutes of their time to join us and talk about their work or their new book. This is just a small taster. As a result, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest books, you can support them, and you can support us on History Hack. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep going and bring you more top-of-the-line guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or search for us in the shop section thank you so much for your continued support we really appreciate our listeners and supporters so make sure you get down to the bookshop and grab yourselves a new book Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.